a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome to KSL Plus, the digital-only newscast where we dive deeper into some of the biggest stories of the day. I'm Matt Rascone. A year out from the beginning of the pandemic, this week marks nearly a year since Governor Herbert launched Stay Safe, Stay Home. We don't want to sacrifice people's health. That was the initiative encouraging people to stay home where they could, and especially encouraging people to work from home when they could. That marked a huge change for a lot of people. Now, we know that not all industries were able to make that move to working from home. Healthcare, restaurants, construction, hospitality, they all required workers to show up every day. But in many industries, working from home was possible and required a quick pivot. And that's created some big changes in many different industries. Sydney Tetro is the president of the Women Tech Council. For her, the pandemic has highlighted many problems within businesses that have been around for decades and that are pushing for us to find solutions. We started this this pandemic. We've been fighting all sorts of challenges, all of us, right? Physical, mental, family, all of those challenges. And then the outcome of this entire thing becomes this female recession, where all of a sudden we're faced with losing 30 years of economic progress for women. It's kind of terrifying to think that that could possibly be true from all the progress that we've made and how important we know that women are in the entire economic ecosystem that we're faced with. So for me, that's one really big thing that I think has changed and that this marks a moment in time. Every time there's a recession, no matter what type of a recession it is, it becomes a requirement for a catalyst of change in order to impact a future better outcome. And so I think this is one of those categories where if we don't put our arms around it and if we don't get in action, the negative ramifications are far too great. It impacts families, it impacts communities, it impacts careers, but it also just impacts at the very personal level of how do we have great minds thinking about all of the problems? How are we solving the world's problems and in our individual problems with the thinking that comes from these diverse groups that come together? So I feel like that's a really big one. Now, on the other side of innovation, the amount of innovation that we've seen from a technology perspective, I think will truly transform us over the next decade. Like, I don't believe that holodecks are that far away, right? This ability to live in this virtual world, like it's coming and it's really interesting to think about what that means, but also just this digital first, this ability to create better like work and life and like live wherever you want and find ways for promotions, like the intersection of the two things the pandemic's created those are really cool futures, right? Where we can be in different locations and we can have powerful conversations and we can make meaningful impact in ways that has never before been possible. That will create positive trajectory. So now we got to take all the challenges we're still faced with that the vaccine doesn't solve, right? The vaccination does not solve the female recession. We have years of work to come out of that recovery. But if we do that in combination with the other great things that the, ca- the, the pandemic is creating a catalyst for, we can recover faster and create better momentum as we move in the future. We were already in a childcare crisis in the entire country prior to the pandemic. It's now worse, right? We don't even have all of our childcare workers back. And that is a really fundamental component. So for women, 
figuring out childcare and how we address that is going to be really critical. Now, there's a lot of innovative solutions that are coming about how we create and, and actually the relief package that was signed also includes incentives in the childcare space, which is really great. But this requires also companies to start brainstorming, right? How do we make it more accessible? How do we make it close? How do we make it affordable? How do we make it safe? All, all of those things. So I think one of the things we're going to have to be in action on, especially for working moms, is childcare. And those women are so critical and they're providing for their families. And so we, we need that ability. I think the other things are going to come from what happens, starts happening in companies. So we've all, we all know that we can work really well when we're all remote because we've all been doing that. This hybrid work is now going to require adjustments because what happens to your promotability and your connectedness if half the team is not in the office some days and half of the team is? That is going to become a very intentional, I think, maneuvering companies. So because one of the great things I think that happened is, is we've watched things like the exodus from Silicon Valley to all sorts of other regions is people are now living where they really want to live in affordable lifestyles, things that are great for whatever their family circumstances are. That's awesome. And so we want people to feel like they have these great careers wherever they are, but then how do we support that in this new world? And I think specifically for women, that's something that we hear all the time that weighs on them. Like if I take this remote only job, can I have the same trajectory in my career as everyone else? I think one of the other things that we've learned too is that the a lot of times, especially in tech, we jump companies to get promotions. We're like, okay, I'm going to jump from here to here to here. It's expensive to lose an employee. It takes a lot of work to hire an employee. So how about if we figure out better ways to create promotion and fast pathways internal to these resources? That helps women. Um, it helps the entire company. It keeps those people who love what you're doing and gives them um, accessibility. For a long time, we've been talking about this idea that people who are, by the time they're 40, will have seven different careers but, you know, a whole generation before that, everyone stayed in their companies for a really long time. And they did that for all sorts of reasons. I think we're going to see this trajectory back where we would like our employees to be a little more sticky, but it requires a different ecosystem that we might not have traditionally had to create. Um, and so I think this remote, this promotability and flexibility, women have talked about flexibility forever. It does not mean work less hours. It means hold me accountable for the things that you know I can do and provide me an entire infrastructure that supports that. And I think we will see the company environments start to change that and it will be required for all of these other components that we have to bring together. One of the things that is so powerful that's an outcome for women from the pandemic is you really do see the grit and the resilience and the strength of, of women, right? And that's really powerful. It's a powerful example for the next generations of everything they've come through. But the creativity under which they're taking circumstances and applying solutions and moving forward, um, I think is very meaningful. And we've seen women who have started companies who lost everything and figured out a way to come back and even raise capital and find growth paths, right? We've found women who have creatively solved their childcare problems or who have had, found companies who have embraced with empathy what that looks like. Amelia Wilcox built a company that brought massage therapists into offices as a well-being offering. We were growing crazy fast. We were on the Inc. 5000, um, the Utah 100, the Fast 50 um, year after year and on track to just have the best um, 2020 
uh, ever. <laughs> but as many people started working from home, as you can imagine, that business came to a screeching halt. We had a 98% revenue reduction. <laughs> so we went to basically zero um, over the course of 10 days. In the months since, though, she has worked to transition her company the company's existing technology platforms, connections, and clients into a company offering virtual mental health services to employees. That's kind of where the light bulb went off for me. And I said, hey, there is a huge demand. The need is not going away anytime soon with a vaccine. You know, it's not going to just erase everyone's mental and emotional disorders that we've all developed from social isolation and the stress and fear and anxiety of, of the world we live in. Um, so yeah, I recognized that there was this huge need and it wasn't going anywhere. I also knew, you know, we'd already spent a decade building a system where we could manage licensing by state. Um, we can manage scheduling and all the tools that we used for the massage business could easily be applied in this new model, providing mental health care. Um, and so that's what we did. We pivoted and now we offer teletherapy services to employees, their employers pay for it, and they also it comes together in this suite of pre-recorded well-being services, including yoga, meditation, fitness, um, life coaching. There's mental health videos, so people can kind of take care of themselves in whatever way they need to, and kind of meet them where they're at. As the world gets back to normal, she says her company Zenovate will offer both on-site and virtual services. I think what COVID has done is kind of opened up people's eyes to having mental health, you know, issues is normal and okay. And it's, I think we're starting to see the beginning of the destigmatization around mental health. Um, so I feel like we have a very secure future in that space. But if the world, you know, goes back to the way it was pre-COVID, we've got the on-site services side of the business as well. And we can start building that out. So I just feel like we've kind of got two horses in the race now that are on both sides. And we can, you know, continue to pivot more into one direction versus the other, uh, depending on what the world does. But I feel a lot more safe and secure. What about those companies that make their money on people being in-person, holding events, and traveling? Well, more adjustments keep coming. I met up with Mark White. He is the Senior Vice President at Visit Salt Lake. Visit Salt Lake is a nonprofit organization who is tasked with bringing visitors, meetings, conventions, trade shows to Salt Lake. And the whole idea is that we bring people here, they spend their money at our hotels, our restaurants, our attractions, they go away leaving their money behind. In fact, our research indicates that each convention delegate on average spends about $971 during their visit. Wow. Okay. So taking a look at the last year, now, now we look back, that really doesn't, that just doesn't work with the virus, right? So what, what has it been like? The last 12 months have been very, very tough for the visitor economy. The conventions that were to take place here at the Salt Palace those alone resulted in a loss of about $360 million. And that's not counting all of the other meetings, the athletic events, the skiers, and so on. So it has been really tough. Yeah. And that doesn't include all of the money that would have been going into restaurants and hotel, hotels? And a abs absolutely. As everyone knows, restaurants and uh, other organizations that are part of the uh, visitor economy have closed up or scaled back their operations significantly. But there is some light at the end of the tunnel. The economy is improving, people are getting vaccinated, and as a result, people are feeling more comfortable to travel. Although the first half of 2021 looks pretty similar to 2020, 
the second half is starting to look good. We have more meetings and conventions on the books. And in February alone, this past February, we put another seven conventions on the books that will arrive either in 2021 through 2024. And those seven conventions will attract approximately 34,000 people who will collectively spend around $33 million in our community. Okay, so events on the books. Yes, yeah, so things are looking up. Uh, The brand new uh, Hyatt Regency is on track to open in fall of 2022. We have a brand new $4.2 billion airport that is welcoming visitors right now. And our organization has some very long relationships with entities that plan conventions. And that's proving to be very beneficial right now as we come out of this pandemic. Yeah. I'm wondering, Visit Salt Lake, are you, how is that funded? Is that, is that a cut of the taxes, you know, from like hotels and things like that? And, and so you guys have probably seen. Yeah, our, our, our budget has taken a hit. Now, fortunately, the local citizens don't pay any of our salaries or pay for any of our programs. It's all paid for visitors. When someone checks into a hotel or a motel, bed and breakfast, they pay, in addition to a state sales tax, they pay a small transient room tax. Salt Lake County collects that. A portion of it goes to our organization for our programs to go out and pursue more visitors. So it's a wonderful, beautiful, self-perpetuating economic engine. Okay. Unless you have a pandemic. Unless we have a pandemic and things slow way down. Yeah. Okay. First half of the year, no good, but starting summer, would you say? Or when are we, what are we, what, what's the time? Yes, our next big convention is Kiwanis International. They'll be visiting in uh, June of this year. They would normally attract around 7,000 attendees, maybe more. This year, we anticipate 1,500, maybe 2,000, because not everyone's still comfortable in traveling. Uh, we have a couple of big conventions during the summer. We were fortunate to just recently land uh, an organization called the Association for Talent Development that will bring around 4,500 attendees in August. And we just landed the American Clean Power Association 4,500-person convention in December, which is normally a slow time of year, regardless if there's a pandemic or not. So there is really some, some, uh, some uh, signs of hope here. Yeah. Now, you were mentioning earlier, you've been with Visit Salt Lake for nearly 30 years. You've seen the ups and downs. How would you, how would you compare this with other I, other I've certainly seen some ups and downs, uh, several economic cycles. 2008, 2009 was tough. But uh, there's been nothing remotely near this. Our hotel occupancies a year ago at this time were above 70%. On some weekends approaching 80%. Now we're seeing occupancies about a third of that. And it was even worse a couple of months ago. So it has really, really been tough for this, this industry. I think few people are aware of the size and impact of the visitor economy. Uh, In 2019, visitors spent $9.75 billion in the state of Utah. And that portion of the economy accounted for one in 11 jobs. So it is of key importance that we get this back up and running for all of the folks in Salt Lake and the state as a whole. What's happening behind the scenes to get people here? (laughs) Well, we've got several programs in place. One is to get as many venues and hotels accredited with the Global Bio-Risk Association's uh, credential uh, that uh, 
uh, holds them to certain standards for cleanliness and, uh, and keeping people safe, that speaks well to the potential travelers. We've also built a brand new media broadcast center in our convention center because so many conventions in the future will, have, will be held in a hybrid component. There will be a physical component, and then there will be a digital component for those people who choose to stay home. Now, we want them to come visit, of course, but for those who choose not to visit, we now have a way to, uh, to communicate with them. So very few other destinations have anything of this caliber. We're way out in front uh, on that. We have also implemented a couple of programs uh, geared toward leisure travelers, which provide uh, discounted hotels and discounted uh, rates at the various attractions in town. Okay. So you mentioned having a sort of virtual option. I'm curious, has this pandemic changed the events, hospitality industry permanently? Are we going to see changes even beyond, you know, when things are, are back to normal? I, I, I believe we, we will see some permanent changes. Um, for many years, the convention planners have talked about uh, moving to a virtual format and uh, that has been occurring at a very, very slow pace. The pandemic put that in hyperdrive. Now, every meeting and convention for the past 12 months, if it was held at all, has been held virtually. But as they return in person, inevitably, they will almost all have a hybrid or digital component or what we might call a virtual component. So we're, uh, we are a bit concerned. Uh, I believe a convention that typically brought 10,000 people Maybe that brings now seven or 8,000 people and the others stay at home and watch uh, participate in the convention virtually. So unfortunately, I think this, has, this will have an impact moving forward. How is Utah doing compared to other states when it comes to the hospitality and, and tourism industries? Well, certainly every destination is suffering, uh, some more than others. Uh, we have done relatively well because we have a, uh, a fair number of outdoor experiences that people can enjoy. Uh, Salt Lake is seen generally as a clean, safe place to visit, so that, uh, that's uh, going in our favor. Um, we also have put business on the books, meetings and conventions for future years, at a higher rate than have our competing destinations over the past 12 months. Now, granted, there have been almost no meetings and conventions held in the last 12 months, but during that period, we put a lot of business on the books for the future. In fact, 2020 was our fourth best booking year. We put um, approximately 725,000 hotel room nights on the books to be consumed in 2021 through 2029. So the pandemic has been very tough, but we've done a pretty good job of putting business on the books for the future. Do you remember the last time this, the Salt Palace was full? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I don't, uh, I really don't recall the last group that was here. But uh, no, the center has been, uh, has been very quiet. Uh, we've kept it clean, we've kept it operational, and now, of course, it's serving as a COVID vaccine distribution center. Um, and uh, we're keeping things ready for business. As I mentioned a bit earlier, the next big convention will be the um, uh, Kiwanis International. We have reason to be optimistic, it sounds like. 
I think we have a lot of reason to be optimistic. Our local economy is already strong, which bodes well for bringing in corporate travelers. Uh, we are not overly dependent upon one type of attraction. We have skiing for a couple more months. We have outdoor activities. Uh, we have a very welcoming, well-maintained, and large convention center. Um, the Hyatt Regency will be opening its doors in fall of 2022, which in the world of conventions is like day after tomorrow. We have a brand new world-class airport. So we have a lot of reason to be optimistic. The Women Leadership Project out of Utah State in December 2020 surveyed 100 Utah companies that frequently pop up as best places to work lists. And they found that 92% of those companies offer some sort of flexibility now when it comes to working from home and flexible hours. Our expectation is that wasn't the case a year ago. You know, I've done a lot of research in past years and, and actually published on change and readiness for change. And one of the things that's quite clear is that when you start asking questions or when you start making changes, it really, people, your employees expect more. They expect you to do something about it. So now that employees and managers are used to more flexibility and that maybe everything doesn't have to be between eight and five, maybe you can, you know, you need to homeschool your children and then maybe you pick up a couple hours in the evening. That has been shown now to work for most organizations, particularly in the organizations that the 100 organizations that we've interviewed. I don't think there's any way that organizations will go back to exactly what they've done in previous years. The flexibility that families are experiencing, experiencing and companies have, have uh, really adjusted to for many companies has been shown to really be good moves. In fact, um, 94% of the companies that we, uh, that answered our survey said that they've actually seen higher employee satisfaction because of these family friendly and flexible project or policies. Um, 80% said that uh, they feel like when they're more flexible, and have these other policies that it really helps the retention of employees. And retention today is so important. So when we ask companies about the benefits they see, about 65% of com companies said that they were actually seeing increased productivity. Um, and so that's an important element to think about. And for Pure Storage HR Director Marina Stores, figuring out what works for each company and employee is going to be key here. One thing to keep in mind is that when we are moving forward with the future workforce or the work week that we have, it's clear that it's not one size fits all. So to claim that we're all going to be working remotely or to claim that we're going to go back to the office, it's, it's, it's going to be a hybrid. It's going to be a hybrid that will allow to get to the best talent, to get to the best work-life integration, and by the way, we're not talking about work-life balance anymore because especially if we're going the route of remote work, it's really hard to tell where the workday stops and the home life starts. So it truly is work-life 
integration moving forward. The considerations that we have, uh, you know, as a company moving forward is how do we balance the need of the business and the culture? Because there are companies that are very much in the office, collaborative, real-time feedback type of a culture where remote work could be a little bit of a challenge. There are companies that will fully allow people to go remote and therefore people will choose where they live. They will choose the lifestyle that they want to have and still be very productive in their professional lives. Another important distinction, the work from home environment we're in now is not the work from home environment we will be in once schools go back to more regular in-person sessions, once we're able to go into the office sometimes, and once we're able to have more of a life outside of our home offices because we were all stuck at home and quote unquote, there, there was nothing better to do. People just worked, 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 worked. And so burnout became a major issue because people put on a ton of extra hours um, working, you know, developing product, project services, whatnot, because again, they were confined to, to their homes for, for the majority of times across the globe, not, not just here in the U.S. And, you know, it's a blessing and a curse to have access to people across industries, subject matter expertise, geos. And so you could connect with them anytime, anywhere. And so the collaboration became hyper collaboration during that time. And again, it just caused a whole bunch of issues in terms of, I don't even know if I'm working or if I am, you know, having a life type of a thing. And some people thrive on that, but a lot of people did mention that Zoom overload, um, you know, lack of clear boundaries uh, between work and life, waking up in the middle of the night with your thoughts turning, you know, jumping on the computer or catching an early or really late cold. I think one of the things that's probably a theme we see in a lot of a lot of conversations is this empathetic leadership trend is accelerating. Like I believe that empathy and compassion will be one of the most valued leadership traits, and I don't think it always was previously. In a couple of years from now, two to three years from now, we can get back to where we were and have made better progress on some fronts that had the pandemic happened, would have maybe take maybe have taken us decades. And instead we can really change the trajectory. A lot of change still ahead for companies around the world. Just this month, in fact, Spain's labor secretary announced the country is piloting a program to see how a four-day, 32-hour work week impacts productivity. Like Sydney just said, changes that have been in the works and are being researched and tested forced to become more of the norm very quickly, and there's really no looking back now. Thanks for joining us this week on KSL Plus. Next week, we take a look at some of the lasting changes to education. 